So this morning we're going to take a look at Mark 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare a way for you. A voice of the one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I. The straps whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the reading of God's word. God. As are my glasses back there? I know I told you I didn't need my notes, but unless somebody else has readers, they can run me. I may need you to go find glasses. No? They're probably my office. It's all right. I have most of the Bible memorized. Not, not true, not true, but we're still going to make it. Um, the, we are in a series called Get Ready where we're looking at the life of John the Baptist and uh, we've looked at it in all four accounts of Jesus' life. Matthew, oh, these are Brad's Green Bay green colors. I don't want to, but I bet I look really good in them. Yeah, hopefully Camille will be here soon. Um, so... Uh, in going through it, I just want to, we're looking at the life of John the Baptist. We're looking at it all throughout the Bible. We've looked at a lot of the Bible, and we're going to do that again today. Uh, but I just want to review where we've been these last few weeks. So we've talked about when he's described, it's always said, prepare the way of the Lord. Get ready. That's John the Baptist's ministry, that his job, he's getting us ready for the Messiah. Uh, and he's, when it's quoted in Isaiah, it talks about in the wilderness, get ready. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. When it's empty, when it, we feel dry, when there's not resources, when life feels against us, when we feel lonely, all of that isn't the time to be like, well, when I'm better, then I'll go, draw near to God. Actually, God does his best work when we're in the wilderness. Thank you, dear. Good hustle, too. That was, I timed you. Um, so... That is that. And then that week we talked about the hope of the good news that's available from God. And, and it came up, John gave it in all kinds of ways, that heaven isn't just far away, isn't just something that happens a long time later. Heaven is actually something that's come near. God's activity is come near. It's available right now. His saving, rescuing power is available to everyone who wants to turn to him. He will forgive sins. That is good news. He will forgive the things that we've done wrong, the things that make us feel unworthy. He'll forgive them. It's good news. He is the light that comes into the darkness. He says, I am getting you ready for someone, the light that comes into the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. There is hope that in a broken world and in my brokenness, that's not the final, final story. He says, get ready. Someone's coming that brings good things and good news. Then two weeks ago, we looked at part of John's messages. He, he said, repent. 
change directions, change the way you think in a way that changes the way you live so that instead of doing things that bring you away from God, you turn and come toward God. He says, repent, you need to do that. And he encouraged people to confess their sins. And people came and confessed their sins. They said, this is how I'm missing the mark to help them repent and turn back toward God. And in that week, we talked about the peace that comes from the fire of God. Now, this is sort of a strange concept because the fire isn't all good news. But but I don't think it takes long to be around different people to hear us say, things aren't right in the world. Things aren't right with this. Things aren't right with that person. Things aren't right with what this group's doing. Things Things aren't right. Can't anyone do anything about it? Well, God can, and someday he will. And when, in the end, he comes to judge the living and the dead, because that's part of what we're getting ready for. We're not just getting ready to celebrate how he came. We're getting ready because he's coming again. We're getting ready because he wants to come into our lives even now more fully than he's already come into them so far. And so the fire comes, and it burns away everything that's against love. And so the good news for us is that his heart has not changed. His heart is to have mercy. His heart is to gather his people. His heart is to show love. But if we don't want to come his way, then in the end, the fire that brings peace, we're on that side. That's a destructive thing. That's a devastating thing. Or we can turn to him now, and he will purify and refine us with our fire, but in a way that brings us peace, in a way that's good for us. So then last week, oh, yeah, then last week we talked about um, John being awesome. So John the Baptist was a big deal. Crowds of people from the city came. Crowds of people from the country came. Crowds came to him. Everyone heard about it. They came to him. The top religious leaders of the day, they had heard of him. The top political rulers in the the region, they knew about him. Everybody knew about him. He was a big deal. But he wasn't just a big deal because lots of people knew about him or the powerful people knew about him. An angel that stands at the throne of God, Gabriel, came down and said that when John came... He was going to be great in the sight of the Lord. And Jesus himself said, up until this point, uh, nobody born is greater than John. He's the greatest human being born up to this point. So John is a big deal, but John's message was, there's one coming that's more powerful than me. Here he is, the greatest guy of, the, of, his, of his generation, maybe the greatest man ever up to the time Jesus comes, and, he, and his message is, I'm nothing compared to who's coming, so you better get ready. Because the one who's coming, he's the big deal. So you better get ready. And how do we get ready? Well, one of the re- ways we get ready, that they got ready then, that we still do this day, is we get baptized. If we haven't been baptized but we believe in Jesus and want to start life with him and his people, then we get baptized. And if we were baptized as a kid, because our parents brought us to be baptized, but we've never confirmed our baptism by making that step uh, to the church ourselves, by professing our faith, then that's something that we should do to get ready. But the joy that comes is that John said, the one who is way more powerful than me that's coming, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will immerse you in the presence of God. 
He will immerse you in the presence of God the way that you will know Jesus. And it will bring you joy. And that is something available to us. Now this week, what we're going to talk about is that John said that a messenger is coming. The messenger is coming to prepare us. He's preparing the way for us. And so we get ready by turning our hearts, by changing our hearts. It's not just a compartmentalized thing. Like, okay, I do this and this and this, and then, of course, I I listen to the podcast or my worship music or go to church, and, you know, that's a little part of my life, and then there's this. No, it's our hearts is into everything. Do we turn our hearts? Because what happens as our hearts turn is that we have a love, a love that will do the right thing even as it's laying its life down for others out of love. And I thought Allie described, what Allie described, that's what we're going for. So, we are still using John as our guide, so let's get to that. In Mark chapter 1, verse 2, it says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Now, it isn't actually quote Isaiah till verse 3. This is Malachi. And we looked at this a couple weeks ago in a fuller context, but I just want to quickly look at part of it again. So Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, is what is being quoted there when they're talking about John the Baptist. And it says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. That's the quote. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So a messenger is coming to get us ready for the Lord himself to come. That's what's there. It goes on to say, but on the day that, but who can endure when he comes? When he actually shows up, who can endure it? Who can stand when he appears? Because he will refine you. He will purify you. He will purify and refine. It's like, he's holy. He is huge. He is coming to make things right and set things right and do things that we deserve. And unless we're ready, we can miss it. And the messenger is there to get us ready. One more thing. If we kept reading in Malachi, just kept reading from that part, just like I turned one page over, we get to the very end of Malachi, which is the very end of the Old Testament. And it says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah. Now, Elijah... The historical prophet had already come at this point. So this is like, I will send someone who's like Elijah. I will send someone, the prophet Elijah, to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. The end of the Old Testament. It's not not great. Good thing a New Testament comes hundreds of years later. Like, this is the final word. The final word is, the messenger is coming who will prepare the way, and he's going to turn our hearts. Now, very first chapter of one of the accounts of the New Testament in Luke. We looked at this last week. The angel Gabriel shows up. He tells the old man, you're going to have a kid. This is what the kid's going to be like. And we're just going to look at a few verses from that. Verse 16 
He, he's talking about John the Baptist, who's about to be born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Last thing it's talking about. Very last verses of the Old Testament. Get ready. Someone like Elijah is going to come and he's going to turn the hearts. He will come in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He's going to turn people back to the Lord. He's going to turn hearts of parents to their children. He's going to turn the disobedient, not just to be righteous, like, I know I'm supposed to, but to have the wisdom of righteousness to be like, uh, not doing what God wants, that looks stupid. That doesn't even appeal to me anymore. Doing what right, that's what looks good. Now, we're not naturally inclined to think that. But that's why I often pray, Lord, help me to love the things you love and hate the things you hate, because I know right now I don't. But it gets so much easier that instead of just gritting my teeth and trying to do what's best, he changes my heart. And I start to like the things he likes. Now that's better. So, we're going to shift to something a little bit different, because we've looked at John the Baptist in a certain way uh, quite a bit. But one thing I want to keep in mind as I go through the, want you to keep in mind as I go through the rest of the message, not one thing, two things. One is, how are you responding to the messengers God sends to you for you to get ready for more of Jesus to come into your life? Because he's still sending messengers to all of us. And sometimes they're the most unlikely messengers. Sometimes they're our enemies. Sometimes they're the people we're over. Sometimes they're the people that we could easily write off. But if we have ears to hear, he is sending messages to us all the time so that we'll turn our hearts. How are we responding when God's trying to get his message through to us? That's the first question. And then the second question, for those of us who say, yeah, I believe in Jesus and I follow Jesus. How are you responding to the reality that he wants you to be his messenger? He wants you to be his messenger. You will be my witnesses. You will be my messengers. You will be the ones who show and tell what I'm like. You. You go into all the world. Baptize them in the name of the, make disciples of all nations. Be my messengers, teaching them my ways. You, we don't just hire that out. If we believe in Jesus, our assignments are all different. It looks different, but we're messengers. But our hearts are like, I don't know. We compare ourselves like, well, I'm not a messenger like that, so I must not be a messenger. If you believe in Jesus, he wants you to be his messenger. Those are the two questions. How am I responding to messengers, to the messages God's giving to me, and how am I responding to the reality that I'm supposed to be a messenger? We're going to look at how somebody responded. Luke chapter 3, verse 19 through 20. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. 
So Herod is the ruler of the region where Jesus is going to do his main ministry and John is part of, part of the ministry there. And Herod responded to the messenger who was preparing the way to turn hearts by locking him up. We're going to look at one other story here that fills this in a little bit more. So, Mark chapter 6. Here's the story. I'll read the whole story, and then I'm just going to make a few points from it. Okay, first I should say, because it says, when King Herod heard about this, what was he hearing about? Well, Jesus had 12 messengers that he sent out right before this, and we hear the story about that right before this. A couple of those messengers, we know in John, were actually John the Baptist's disciples. They had responded to the messenger who said, prepare the way for the Lord. They had responded by confessing their sins. They had responded by getting baptized. And then when John said, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, pointing to Jesus, they say, oh, their hearts were ready, and they followed him. They responded to the message, and they recognized Jesus, and then they became Jesus' messengers. And before Jesus had died or rose again or sent his spirit, he sent these messengers out to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to proclaim good news to the poor, to be the messengers, and they went and did it, and the news spread about, and that's how we get to this spot. King Herod heard about this, about these messengers, about what's happening with Jesus. For Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And we just talked about what they're referring to there. And still others claimed he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John whom I beheaded has been raised from the dead. Beheaded? What happened there? Let's find out. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested. And he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried to the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. At once, the girl hurried in to the king with the, with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist. There's like one of those tapes skip, and you're repeating We'll skip it. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Merry Christmas. You may be wondering, like, are we really picking this out the week before Christmas? I mean, there's other material in this. This is a big book. What are we doing here? Well, actually, 
there's something about as we get together with our family or friends, there's something about all these dynamics here. So what I want you to see is that ultimately Herod made the decision, but he wasn't making the decisions he wanted to make. And that so easily happens when we get together with our family or our friends. That we, that we start to do things that isn't really what we would want to do or think we're supposed to do, but there's just certain dynamics, and then that's what we do. So verse 17, for Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested. Herod did it. Herod decided, Herod was responsible, and Herod did it. But why did he do it? He had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So he does this because of his wife. So Herodias, his wife, nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him because he really didn't want to arrest John. He knew him to be a righteous and holy man. And when he heard him, he was greatly puzzled, but he also liked him. Herod does not want to do harm to John. But because he also is trying to keep the peace with his wife and knows it's not going to feel good for him. How's she going to respond? It's not going to be good. And so he makes a decision he doesn't really want to, but he makes a decision, it's the dynamics of the family and just trying to keep the peace, trying to not have it be uncomfortable for himself. I know, but it's not what he wanted to do, but he still did it. And what's driving Herodias is a grudge. We get together with family, or maybe we won't be getting together with family because of grudges. Now, there are reasons to have boundaries. You don't need to relate with everybody the same way. If there's certain things, you try at best to live at peace with people. You try at best, and sometimes you just have to not relate to them the same way you used to. But when you have a grudge, that's different. The grudge, this is an internal thing that will eat away at you and will cause you to do damage at others. And so we have to be careful about our grudges. Our grudges tend to be, feel right on, like we know why. But they just, I mean, a lot of, I spend a lot of time as a pastor basically listening to damage that's being done because of grudges. It's just happening all the time. Family and people you work with and how do we deal with our own grudges? Because they're destructive. And we own that. It may be, we may have good reasons for our grudges. We may have been hurt, we may, but we own the grudge. We do. And we are worshiping a God who forgives freely and says, forgive. Again, it doesn't mean you put yourself in bad situations. It doesn't mean you have to relate to him the same way, but you, you know when this, this, and you need him to help change your heart. Now, I'm not going to reread but why did Herod make this promise and oath? Well, they're having a good time. They're living it up. His stepdaughter comes in, teenager, probably not doing the waltz. I don't think he's promising half the kingdom for the waltz. You know, stuff's happening. And, he's, and so he just is getting carried away. He's wanting to impress the people around him. And it's a banquet. There's a good chance the wine is flowing. 
And so he's not making the best decision. Now, over the years, what I have observed is that a lot of people, again, I'm talking about if we own our own decisions, a lot of people act like when I do things because I'm drunk, I mean, that's not really me. And so I'm not really responsible. So I just did that because I was drunk. I was just with him because I was drunk. I, I would, you know, I, I don't even remember what I did. As if like, so it's okay. We're still responsible. Now, I agree. People do things that they wouldn't normally do when they're sober. They do things that are out of character when they're drunk. But the Bible says, do not be drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And so it's still our responsibility if we decide to get drunk. I know this is a heavy message. I can see some of you looking at me. But listen, today, unsolicited, somebody says to me, this is my eight-month sober anniversary. They listened to God's message to not drink alcohol because they saw the results of what happened when they drank alcohol. But it wasn't just that they responded to the message. They have now gone into social settings. Now, you go into a social setting when you're a social drinker and you stop drinking and people will, I mean, you can have as much, people will buy every drink for you. They will do everything. Like they become uncomfortable just because you're not drinking. But what's happened with him is some people are like, oh, maybe I'll do that. And there's witness. he has become a more effective messenger for the Lord by this decision. This is not meant to be heavy, but it's meant to like highlight, because there's a day coming when we stand before the Lord that we own our own decisions. And alcohol doesn't help. So that's another reason that this all happened. But even then, he didn't want to. Verse 26, the king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. So he does not want to do this still. But he doesn't want to lose face with people. He's wanting to impress people. He's not wanting to get disappointed. He's not wanting to be left out. He's not whatever. So he does not do what he knows to be right. The reason I brought this is because this passage more than any other spoke to me during my sabbatical. Because so many decisions I make, I make it based on what other people will think about me, even if it's not the right thing. So many of my interactions are based on, and sometimes I think I'm being loving and kind, but I'm just chickening out. And so I make decisions for me, but think I'm making decisions for other people. Now, back to, so here's how he responded. Now, here's the beauty of the Lord's love. He could have arrested John. He could have beheaded John. He could have done all these things and said, God Forgive me. It wasn't too late for him. But here's what happens. Not much later. Last passage we'll look at. From Luke chapter 22. 23. Jesus is on trial. And Pilate sends Jesus to Herod. What do you think I should do? 
When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressing him in an elegant robe. They sent him back to Pilate. Now, John the Baptist had come, and he was talking to Herod. I used to think of it as like John the Baptist, kind of wow, like standing up somewhere like, you evil man! I don't know why. I always think of John. I mean, I guess he ate locusts. He dressed weird. But I mean, maybe he was like a normal conversation guy. Anyway, but this didn't really say he shouted it. He just told him, yeah, you shouldn't do this. And then he kept talking to him. And Herod was drawn in. He knew because he's giving him the message for his heart to change. He wants Herod's heart to change. And Herod does not respond to it. He almost does. He kind of wants to. Deep down, he thinks that's the kind of person he is. But he doesn't. And then his heart gets harder. And John tried to prepare him, but now Jesus himself is there. And he wanted to see Jesus. And he knew Jesus was good, and he was excited about it. But when Jesus didn't do what he wanted him to do, he dismissed him. Well, first he mocked him and dismissed him. What if the same dynamic might happen in our life? What if there's messages that's trying to soften our hearts so that we will receive Jesus more and instead we'll dismiss, we even mock it because we want to fit in? So that's that. Lastly, I'm looking at the messengers. Lots of people responded to John the Baptist. But he also got rejected. He also still gave the message, not because he could get something out of it. Look at how I'm way better than you. Just wanted his heart to turn. Even if it ruined his life and he gets sent to prison, even if it eventually cost him his life. He had that kind of love trying to help people's hearts turn. So whether it's like John, who's willing to say it, because it's a big deal and he wants people's hearts to turn, or it's Jesus who's willing to not say anything, because sometimes that's what love looks like, even if he's going to be made fun of and dismissed. That's messengers in love. So back to the two questions. To close, what is God trying to say to you? He's always talking to us. And he is not like, mm. it's just it's not him. He, he wants our hearts to change for our good. What's he saying? What's he saying to you? What's he been saying? Question one. Question two. Those of you who say, I believe in Jesus. Jesus is in my life. Who's he sending you to? We're all his messengers. We're all his messengers. And he loves the world. 
Who's he sending you to? Have the team come up and we'll pray. saying to us, God? What's the message you've been trying to get through because you know it's best for us? We acknowledge we're incapable of responding well without your help. So help us. For those of us that need to forgive and can't, help us. And God, who are you sending us to? How are you sending us? Who do you want us to pray for, but more than just pray for? To love, to invite to encourage, to kindly, gently confront. Again, we just acknowledge we're not very good at this. We need your help. Thank you that being uncomfortable didn't prevent you from coming to us. That pain or being ridiculed or mocked didn't prevent you from coming to us. That the ways we hurt you, ignored you, want nothing to do with you at times didn't prevent you from coming and loving us. Thank you. Thank you that as many times as we've messed up or walked away, you are still there, ready to forgive, ready to love. Thank you for that. Thank you that you love the people you're sending us to way more than we do. Way more than we do. Thank you. As we're turning our hearts to you, God, would you give us new hearts this morning, a heart like yours? Give us hearts like yours. We pray it in Jesus' name.